how are we leveraging data, calculations, decision-making criteria, historical performance data in a way that informs our future projects, not just for internal efficiency and for profitability, but for the sake of better outcomes to our customers. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Jim Tavernelli. He is the president and COO of KLH Engineers, a traditional MEP engineering consulting firm in the AEC industry. Jim has led KLH's reinvention into an innovation-centric practice by executing its technical strategy, which has fundamentally changed the way KLH views and completes its work. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you for the introduction, Todd. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, how'd you get into the construction industry to begin with? Well, uh, I would say it was by, by, by chance. Um, uh, I graduated with an electrical engineering degree in 2000, December 2000, and I moved to the Cincinnati, Ohio region. I'm originally from Northeast Ohio and Cleveland, and uh, frankly, I needed a job. So, um, I carpet bombed the the area with cover letters and resumes, and, and back then, you know, we didn't have LinkedIn. Um, I think at best, you know, we were still dealing with with um, dial-up internet, so it was yeah. a real treat. I lived with, <laughs> I, I I moved down here for uh, for a girl that I ended up marrying, but um, oddly, it worked out well. It worked out, but oddly, Todd, um, I'm with the company. This is my first my first and only job, so I'm still with. The company that gave me my first opportunity. Nice. That's a, a rarity in today's and world. It is. And, and next March, I celebrate my 20th year. Congrats. That's amazing. It's been a good ride. I feel very, very cool. fortunate. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and, and diving into some you know different mindset transitions and all that stuff. Uh, we first got introduced to each other, though, for audience sake, uh, by Amy Marks, and you were, then were gracious enough to come on a, a MEP Mastermind event and be a, a thought leader and moderator, unpacking all things industrialized construction. So, want to kind of start there on how do you define industrialized construction? Well, that was a good event, the MEP Masterminds. You know, it, we continue to to shine a spotlight on what exactly IC is and what it means to the industry. Um, you know, Amy has been a huge proponent and a personality, very intentional on Autodesk's part to, you know, push industrialized construction. Um, you know, I believe in the same things, but frankly, when I think IC, I think flow, flow of data, um, you know, flow of information, uh, within the construction value stream, simultaneous, instantaneous, so that decisions can be made from, you know, one as we call them silos to the next. The the title of your of your podcast is very fitting in this regard, because the the fragmentation that exists in our industry within that value stream, um, you know, I see represents a strategy in which those silos become more blended together and streamlined in a way um, that that convergence and collaboration becomes much more much more possible. So I see forces that type of behavior. It closes those gaps. Um, it eliminates breakdowns and bottlenecks. 
and interruptions in workflow. Um, you know, it's it's very popular these days to to think of IC in terms of productization, mm -hmm. which is you know immensely critical and center to to that philosophy. Um, but it's often overlooked at the trade and GC level. Um, and it's awesome to see the continued efforts of, you know, the subject matter experts push this, this, this concept through, through the industry. Um, you know, I think at the trade and GC level, it's about material and process mm -hmm. in the way that, um, you know, there, there's an element of standard standardization that's present within the way that we work. And that elevated style of thinking um, allows that standardization to naturally transition to, you know, repeatable, it makes repeatable tasks scalable sure. in, in, a, in a real powerful and, and significant way. Yeah. Where do you think we really are though, adoption wise, industry wide with really rolling out industrialized construction as you just laid out? Um, you know, if I were to give you my first blush reaction to it, I would say th there's people out there doing it. If you want me to put it in a percentage uh, context, I would say we're, we're below 20% for sure. Yeah. You know, there's still too many companies and professionals in the industry that are um, frankly relying on things that worked 20 years ago. And perhaps there are very good reasons why they're not looking forward. Um, perhaps they're busy, perhaps their backlog is is full. You know, the proverbial, they're fat, dumb and happy and, and don't care to look forward. Right. Um, maybe it's scaring them, the thought of the disruption of, of bringing in uh, and, and institutionalizing change, uh, both culturally and within workflow and process within the organization. Um, but it's, I would say it's below 20% for sure. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's a, an education component to this that people, they, they may have heard of industrialized construction and, uh, but they don't fully know what it means or, or they've created their own definition and people aren't really agreeing on the one set. This is what it means. This is what it is. I, yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's all about education. I mean, to be totally candid, uh, I'm, I'm ushering in education within my own organization at KLH on like, hey folks, this is something you need to become more familiar with as we seek outside partnerships to enable our, our partners to, to productize, to mm -hmm. leverage the, the strategies associated with IC. Um, there's an, there's an, an immense educational component to it that, that can't be understated. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so one of the things I, I mentioned in the intro is that at KLH, you guys have really transitioned from that uh, or to an innovation centric company and have technology at the forefront. First off, why did you guys decide to make that shift to a technology first approach? And then what's that transition been like? It's a very long story, Todd. I'm going to spare you some of the <laughs> emotional details, um, but the things I just referenced about relying on things that worked in the past, that, that describes KLH five years ago, 10 years ago. Uh -huh. um, you know, things were, were going well, um, but for whatever reason, you know, we just weren't innovating to be better. Um, we, were, we were, I would say we were, we were pretty complacent, quite frankly. 
So, um, you know, what pushed that is we had this offsite, this, this infamous offsite retreat with our technical leaders in, in the firm to ask ourselves some pretty basic questions. Mm-hmm. Um, questions like, you know, as a third generation owner, we are not family owned, but as a third generation owner of the company, you know, there's a statistic out there that a third of all companies going through a third generational shift don't make it, or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. uh, come out alive. So they actually, mm-hmm. so two thirds don't make it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of our senior shareholders asked us, are you guys the, uh, the, sh- the, the generation that's going to kill this business? Because we were not lifting up, we weren't step functioning the way our behavior, our thought process in how are we leading the company to remain relevant tomorrow, let alone, you know, 20 years from now? Am I giving myself a chance to continue my career in this field? And yeah. what is, and ultimately, what is my legacy? Um, and that, that, that really woke us up. Um, good so healthy that's, pressure right there. That, that's the emotional side of, of the conversation. Um, but, you know, I mentioned it, it started with some basic questions like, is the world going to be more 2D or 3D in the future? Mm-hmm. And of course, that's an obvious answer. It's going to be, it's going to be more 3D. And so that led to then why in the world are we supporting two design platforms? That being AutoCAD, two-dimensional and Revit three-dimensional. And oh, by the way, our proficiency in Revit at that time wasn't exactly cutting it. So answering that question, making a a firm commitment that 100% of our organization was going to transition into 3D Revit. So we shifted and made that, that, uh, that significant change over the course of about 18 months. So that was in August of 2016 when we made that decision. You know, some of the other questions were like, you know, is the world going to be more data-driven or less data-driven in the future? Again, a very obvious rhetorical type question. It's going to be more data-driven. So that that much more supplanting the reason why to shift into a BIM platform like Revit. Mm-hmm. But yet, how are we how are we leveraging data, calculations, decision-making criteria, historical performance data in a way that informs our future projects, not just for internal efficiency and for profitability, but for the sake of better outcomes to our customers. Um, so in, in that vein, you know, some of the other questions that we asked ourselves um, in terms of, you know, with, within our company, within our spot in, in the industry, I'll, I'll touch on what that means externally outside KLH, but we asked who, who is the true consumer of our drawings? Because contractually, right, we're more often than not, it's not always, but more often than not, contractually, we're serving upstream to an architecture firm. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's typically the contractual arrangement. Whereas the true consumer of our work are the, are the, are the contractors. So why are we not making it a more, um, you know, more intentional focus on asking the right kinds of questions for them? What, what is it that's going to eliminate risk, reduce waste, um, increase efficiency in the procurement of materials, um, streamline, um, you know, estimating and bidding, things like that. We just weren't considering those things back then. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you coordinate up, up and downstream um, during, a, during a project? And that speaks to, 
you know, currently we're, we're, we're utilizing email and, and, you know, obviously there's other third-party platforms like Procore, but it isn't allowing that seamless transfer of data in a, in a productive way. Um, you know, we asked ourselves, how do engineers and architects roles in the industry change in the next 10 years? Said differently and specifically for MEP engineers, um, you know, we're serving the needs of a, of a permit and that doesn't add a, a whole lot of value. Um, so knowing, you know, with automation and, and the rise of technology in our space, you know, quite frankly, we could be um, subverted or usurped by some technology startup that is automated and embedded, um, you know, a lot of the code uh, driven types of process that we, um, that we implement on our projects. If that happens, you know, what is our value? Is it a stamp? Is it the fact that I'm registered in this state? And, and quite frankly, that doesn't have a lot of value. Mm -hmm. um, and then I mentioned, you know, the, the question about more or, or, or less data. Um, so then when, when we look outside of our business, we asked, you know, there are, we, we, there are behaviors in our personal lives that we will not tolerate that occur every single day in our professional lives. So for example, you know, if Todd, you send me a, you know, a text and be like, hey, Jim, meet me at, you know, this bar and you give me an address, right? What, what is the, the behavior, right? I, I hold my thumb on the address, it pops open ways or whatever my default nav app is and off yeah. I'm going, right? It intuitively understands that I want directions. Right. I'm not, you know, taking out a, a napkin and I'm not writing down the address and I'm not typing it into MapQuest and hitting print. But yet in our professional lives, we, we're, we're, you know, or we're populating calculations in a selection software or a load calculation software. And then we're manually populating that information into Excel or into some other selection software. It's a very disjointed process, right? It's, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's a fragmented process that, that we're speaking of. Um, and people and are, it, are proud of that process too. Like, oh yeah, look at this, look what we do. <laughs> but it leads to, you know, it's not only wasteful, but it leads to, to really costly errors. Sure. You know, when, when you implement, uh, or when you think about human error, maybe you fat fingered something or you select the wrong model number. It, it just is, it's just very inefficient. Yeah. Um, you know, we ask ourselves about the assembly line. Would, would a car manufacturer send a, a car up the manufacturing line twice saying, you know, by the time they get to the point where they're going to put the doors on, like, oh, you know what? These doors are too expensive. We, we, or the car's too expensive. We can't go forward. So let's go back to the beginning. Of course not. All of that is coordinated and figured out ahead of time, but yet in construction, we will go through design development. You know, that's like 80% through the project where there's been a lot of effort put into the project only to realize at bidding that the owner can't afford the project. Right. So we go through this, you know, classic value engineering exercise, which just, it leads to more, it just leads to more waste. Um, the, the last one here is, the example that we like is, you know, would you pay your friend with a check or with, with Venmo or PayPal, right? Yeah. Nowadays it's, it, it speaks to, um, you know, that, that seamless transfer of, of funds to, to, a, to a friend or a relative. Whereas, you know, the way we're communicating with the industry is still largely very disjointed. Um, 
so that that talks to the philosophy behind behind the why. Yeah. Um, and it's been a, an absolute uh, wonderful transformation. Um, you know, it's it's been hard. It's been a very heavy lift. It's taken about four years to get to a point where we are now bringing that value to the external to our external partners. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. So you guys had this breakthrough at the retreat with leadership. How did you then come back and kind of sell it to everybody else in the company and, and get their buy-in? Because I would imagine without the buy-in of everybody else, the plan kind of falls apart. Oh, without a doubt, Todd. I mean, the easy part was agreeing on what was next at that right. offsite. The hard part was coming back to the office and be like, okay, now what? And in my role, um, you know, that was really my job to begin that process. And frankly, I, I, I had to, I had to accept that I needed to change my own behavior. I needed to be fearless in terms of um, trying new things. You know, how are we going to get our, our employees involved in changing the fundamentally changing the way that we approach our projects? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, it's not a new method, but we, we utilize, uh, you know, Kanban boards, right? The sticky notes that are, are so popular in so many companies. But I put it in the middle of the office. This is when we were still working together in, a, in an office space, by yeah, the way. What's that like? <laughs> um, but I put it in the middle of, of the office intentionally so that visibility would be increased. And it started with um, about eight or, eight or so of us. And we would meet every single day at 2 to 2.30. And we, we had our swim lanes and we would track different tickets. But even in the beginning, the early days of, of that process, it was this really awkwardness. Be like, okay, what now? I just feel like I'm staring at, we're just staring at each other. And, yeah. and working through something that eventually enabled us to find our groove, start you know hitting those iterative milestones in, 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 in those sprints in, in an efficient way. And just constantly doing that with, with repetition and consistency and promoting, you know, you know, promoting involvement. We launched this lunch and learn series internally where every Thursday at noon, we would buy everyone lunch in exchange for them coming in. And we would talk about, you know, the opportunities for us to be change agents, for us to influence the necessary change in construction. And, you know, some didn't believe, and, and that, I think that's normal, but that started the process for us to get a higher level of engagement and enthusiasm and, and energy all centered around this strategy, which we, you know, you referenced it in, in my intro, we, we call it, um, you know, affectionately, we call it the technical strategy. I know it's not a flashy name, but it, it, it's just that we're a technical company. And, and what is the strategy by which that we are reinventing ourselves? Yeah. Um, and so that is just, those are two examples of how uh, we got that off the ground internally. But um, 
you know, there were some skeptics uh, associated with this. And you know, there's a lot, of in, a lot of investment made on new tools. You know, I've heard some of your past uh, podcasts, Todd, where, you know, you're talking about VR and AR. I mean, it was about exploring mm -hmm. all of those technologies. And so I wouldn't think twice, just like, you know, we're buying a, a HoloLens, we're buying a Oculus, we're buying, you know, I don't care. Let's just play with it. Let's see if it has value. If it doesn't have value, I don't care, right? It's okay to backtrack. It's okay to spend those dollars if it means we are fine or learning new information about what can or, or what might not work. Um, and some saw that as, well, you know, they're spending my bonus money as right. an example. And um, despite my best efforts to, to preach, you know, why, and that uh, this is all in the name of, of creating opportunities and creating more, you know, projects and, and streams of revenue for the business, you know, some ended up, um, you know, leaving. Um, but uh, I, I think of that as necessary turnover. You know, turnover is not fun by any means, but that was necessary turnover for us to ultimately get where we are today. Yeah. Long-term wise, what kind of impact did you see morale wise of the company going through this transition? Um, it, it's had an incredible impact on, on culture. I mean, that, that's been f like front and center in this entire in this entire tech strategy is if if we're not nurturing culture, if we're not having the conversations with individuals that we feel that can contribute mm -hmm. in, in a meaningful way, you know, the, the strategy is nothing, right? The, you know, the whole culture eats strategy for lunch. I mean, it's right. true. And um, that's been a, a core focus, uh, promoting involvement, as I suggested, those lunch and learns, you know, promoting uh, some of our employees say, listen, if you have a topic that you're passionate about, if you'd like to lead a lunch and learn, or if you, you know, you want to get involved with some speaking engagement at a, at a, uh, at a conference, I mean, we're going to support that. That's the type of characteristics and behavior that we desire. Yeah. And, you know, once we prove to the employees that we were serious about this, and that it wasn't some flash in the pan, shiny object that we were serious about, like that Revit, that commitment to Revit, you know, two months in, we're still talking about folks, we're getting into Revit, you know, how are we progressing? Let's hear some, some feedback. It's like, okay, they're serious about this. And once they realize that this wasn't going away, I think that engagement, the enthusiasm, the buy-in and the energy from, from the culture just increased yeah. uh, because they started to see, okay, wow, I can do this within this platform, or this is now making my job easier so that I can focus on the more creative side of, of, of my job. Um, it was all very important. It was, a, it was an important part of, of that transformation for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I would imagine too, that it would really help create a more open and, and really trusting environment. Cause if you don't have that space to feel free to, to come in and throw out a, a crazy innovative idea and see what works, if you don't have that trust with the, your teammates, it's, it's not really going to work. You're right. Um, you know, there, 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 I can't underscore like the role of a leader as a preacher, as I call it, you know, being constantly visible and, and that visibility is tested in, in, you know, COVID times. Yeah. But, um, you know, there was some concern that, you know, with all of this new adoption of technology, um, that, hey, they're automating away my my job, right? Mm -hmm. That was a big concern. Like I'm a designer, they're trying to get rid of um, my role. They're, you know, and so preaching that we're, we're, we're seeing 
automation as an opportunity, not as a threat. I realize that that's cliched, but all again, it's to it's to streamline the rather rudimentary or mundane parts of our job. Right. Okay. And it enhances it so that you can focus on, as you said, that that those more creative elements to the job. The more consultative people, like being more face-to-face with your customers, yeah. like spending more time, you know, given that we have budgets on our projects, spending more time on the more important decisions, you know, where the big dollars are spent on a project, not on, you know, laying out lights or laying out receptacles or light switches or whatever. Right. Okay? Well, as you focus on things that are, are more front, frankly. <laughs> it, exactly. I mean, that's, that's why we got in this business. It's, it's for the creative side. It's, it's, it's for the, you know, the, the, the parts that are more fun. Um, and, and one last piece there, you know, there was also some, some rumors and speculation that, you know, our, our goal was to become a software company because during this transition, we started to hire software developers, which I think makes us really unique as a, as a, as an MEP engineering firm. Uh The fact that we have 16 developers on staff compromising roughly 20% of of our staff now, I mean, it's pretty miraculous. And so that investment in custom Revit tools, and I mean, developing directly in the API, not, not utilizing Dynamo, not to disrespect Dynamo or anything like that. But, um, you know, with, with all of that investment in those types of activities and, that, and those types of uh, employees, there was this, I guess, this concern that we were looking to become a, a software company. And, you know, that just, that just isn't true. So getting out in front of that and, I guess, debunking those types of concerns was, was an important part of my job in, in the early days, for sure. Yeah. Any advice for people trying to make a, a similar mindset shift? Um, yeah, my advice would be, you know, have the guts to ask yourself those same types of philosophical questions. And, you know, whether, regardless of whether you're, you know, you're busy right now, you're having success today, it doesn't mean that you're going to have success tomorrow. And that is even further compounded over the last five years. No, you know, seeing the movement in construction. I mean, the number of times I'm hearing these types of terms and these types of presentations has exponentially increased since, you know, 2016. Sure. Um, it's coming. It's coming like a freight train. And you know, you mentioned Amy Marks earlier. I mean, it, she she said it best, which I think is absolutely savage. She said it's no longer a journey, right? There's all these companies wanting to know, how do I get on the journey? Yeah. It's no longer a journey. It's a race. And if you don't know about the race, well, then you're not in it. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, <laughs> <like> Amy Marks. <laughs> so don't, don't wait, you know, yeah. be willing to spend those dollars, invest in your employees, invest in culture and have the guts to try new things, knowing that it might feel silly and awkward and clunky at the beginning but with that consistency and that commitment comes, um, you know, comes, I think just this, this ritualistic type uh, of, you know, if it's a huddle or if it's a meeting or if it's a lunch and learn, it, it just becomes part of what we do, right? Sure. It, it's part of, of the, the cultural fabric. Um, just have the guts to, you know, kind of look out and ask yourself those tough kind of questions. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP. 
MEP Construction Software for Revit. Evolve's MEP Software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive, which in turn significantly reduces project risk and cost. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow. It's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit EvolveMEP.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah. Well, and to your point, if, if you're not doing it, there's one of your competitors is out there doing it. And by the time you wake up and you start the race, they're going to be light years ahead of you. Um, to that point, Todd, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, in the early days, as we were having, you know, small breakthroughs and, you know, different companies um, were asking us about it. I, I had this real, you know, hair up my rear about like hiding it right? Not willing to share it because it might get stolen or anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's indicative of kind of what's wrong in our, in our industry right now is right. The, the unwillingness to kind of share workflows or, or the, you know, you said it earlier, the trust that comes with that. Yeah. And, you know, we're not going to win or we're not going to advance if I'm not willing to share innovation in a way that I think promotes, um, you know, a win-win scenario or promotes a partnership uh, so that even for myself, you know, there's been a, a incredible growth in understanding how, how to behave, but also, you know, to your, to, to the point you made is that, you know, what, what I'm showing now, we're already, we're working on version six, right. okay, this is version two. Um, and even if they want to, you know, replicate it, good luck, right? The cultural transformation is a big part of that. And, you know, not to mention the code and, and the, the technical uh complexity of the code is, is, you know, a compounding factor as well. Yeah, there's years of prep work to get to the starting line in this race. You got to start sooner or later. So you guys are, are really trying to cross vertical lines in, in the industry. How do you make it that dividing line between GC and an MEP, maybe a little less combative? Um, okay. So the, the reason I love this question is, is it, it, it like hits right at the heart of the human condition, um, which, which, you know, inherently I think human beings are, uh, are, are mired in a belief system that you need to lose in order for me to win. Yeah. Um, and if we just all recognize that the world will be a, a better place when we strive for win-win scenarios, I realize that I'm, I'm getting a little deep here, but um, if we're not, capable or willing to go in, into the, the depth of thought that allows those types of relationships, then we're never going to, we're never going to realize the types of change that, uh, that, we, that we desire. Um, as I, as I think about this, that there are certainly, you know, I hear of, of trades that, that love working for GCs. So, so there are examples of that. And it's generally the GCs that value what the sub brings to the table, you know, that, um, you know, they're not withholding payments. They're not squeezing the, 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 the sub on, on schedule. Um, you know, they're, they're valuing what they're doing on site. They're relinquishing control and, and they're being more collaborative rather than, you know, how do I mitigate my risk? How do I push schedule or scope or, or whatever onto the sub? Um, 
you know, that, that'll, that'll show up like for an example where, you know, a, a sub will show up with, with their crew, you know, to install whatever, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. And yet that wall hasn't even been sheeted in yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, what WTF, you know, <laughs> I got my crew here and like, yeah, I'm sorry, you're, you're going to have to, you know, come back next week. You know, the right. communication just isn't, isn't there. Um, and that would be an example of, of, you know, why there is a divide. But I think when we come together and, and we are, we seek win-win uh, scenarios uh, is, is when we're going to start to recognize uh, the change that, that we desire. You know, there will be less confrontation and less combativeness when there's greater collaboration. Yeah. Um, and, and not to mention, this is mimicked in other, other areas of the industry. You know, you, I think of the architect to engineer or the engineer um, to sub, right? There, there, is, there is conflict that exists there. And, you know, being an MEP engineer, I, I'm very familiar with how the trades feel about MEP engineers. They, they frankly, they just don't, they don't like them. Um, and that they're sick of dealing with them. You know, I mentioned that we're, you know, you're not coordinating our, our drawings, we're, we're pushing incomplete drawing packages to them. They're not constructible. Um, and when there is an issue, you know, they, they submit an RFI to us and we wait three weeks to respond to that RFI with like, hey, it's in the drawings. You know, I, they, they just view us as this arrogant sort of necessary evil because we have a stamp and that's the current paradigm that we live in. But mm -hmm. we're seeing, you know, more and more uh, a pattern where electrical contractors, mechanical contractors are building their own in-house engineering competency because they're just tired of dealing with us. We're costing them dollars. Um, so, you know, the way we're trying to increase that that collaboration is by committing, you know, through that commitment to Revit, we're committing to pushing as much content into our models, into our designs, such, such that it is fully coordinated. We're trying to eliminate all of our generic details in those, you know, massive phone book size specification books that are littered with what we call landmines and gotchas. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're just trying to make things easier and provide more tangible value to our contractor partners. And it's starting to take root. There are still some that, that aren't buying it, but with persistence, you know, we're going to, we're going to eventually get to a place where we're putting our money where our mouth is. And it's already, it's already happening to, to, yeah. to a, a significant degree. Yeah. I, I love that of the, how can you bring value to those who you're working with? And, you know, I think in large part that that really comes from trying to understand their perspective and, and where they're coming from, because they may be doing something a certain way that makes no sense to you, but it, it makes sense in their workflow. And if you kind of seek to understand their perspective on it, you don't have to agree with it. You might still think it's a you know stupid thing to, to put in there, but you can at least kind of go, oh, all right, I see why they do it. Now I can come at it this way. This is where I'm coming. I can bring a value in, in this way and enhance that. And so it's, you know, it's, it's always less combative when you, you know, who the person is and you see that uh, as a person. Frankly, a... frankly, um, we weren't in a position to disagree with it, Todd. I mean, I, we were, you know, quote unquote, behaving badly. And we had the opportunity to go across the country and speak to a variety of contractor peer groups. 
And this is, you know, a very close network of electrical contractors um, from all around the country coming together, sharing best practices, how they, you know, how are they adopting lean principles? How are they kidding? How are they prefabbing, you know, financial strategies, uh, you know, et cetera. And, and fortunately, we were able to get on, on the circuit, the agenda mm. to present sort of our approach, our contractor first approach, but it started with, you know, how do we at least create a, a an environment where they're willing to listen to us? Mm -hmm. And so it started with, you know, tell me, hit me, like, how do you feel about MEP types? I'm not just talking about KLH, I'm talking about the A&E side in general. And it was, it was, it was brutal. I mean, it, just, they're just tired of dealing with us. And, and you know, the, the most soul crushing thing that I learned about it all is that we work on the design side, engineer, we work tirelessly and effortless or in, in um, you know, putting that blood, sweat and tears, so to speak, into our projects yeah. and we deliver to them, you know, yeah, it'll go in for permit, but you know what they do with our, our drawings? They throw them in the trash. And they recreate the model themselves because they have that much little confidence in yeah. what we are delivering to them from a coordination standpoint, constructability. Is it detailed? Um, you know, all of those things. Yeah. And it's like, why in that world are we doing this? If yeah, they're throwing it, if they're throwing away our, our quote unquote product. Yeah. We are service, uh, a service based company, but, you know, our designs, our models, our drawings are the products of our services. And to learn that, I mean, that was, that was like a punch to the gut. Like, yeah. wow. Okay. We really, we, and that was, you know, I was able to take that back to the company, share what we had learned. And, you know, it, it put some, you know, fuel behind, this is why we are going in this direction. Yeah. Hey, innovators. Over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place, and there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com slash ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Well, what kind of battle for, for relevancy then do you think that the MEP trades are, are facing moving forward? Um, so I'm going to go on both sides of the, of the labor spectrum here for, for a uh -huh. moment. You know, it's, it's been well documented that, um, you know, there's a shortage of skilled labor in our industry. Um, specifically for the trades and as long as high schools continue to push you know students into colleges and colleges are trying to push their graduates into white collar you know quote unquote white collar jobs you know that that is always going to be it's good that problem is going to exist um, but on the other side of the spectrum you know i look at it as um you know productization right 
if let's say um, contractors begin to understand the benefits and the scalability of productization, taking something repeatable, some installation, and then uh, scaling it to a point where they've become a manufacturer themselves, where you know they're shipping, <clears throat> excuse me, assemblies uh, or kits to project sites that where they're not in, where they're not the installing contractor, or you could take a, a manufacturer like Train or um, you know Carrier or or whatever, and let's say they start to um, they start to productize their their current equipment that much further to the point where installation becomes so simplified that skilled labor isn't necessary. Um, you know, you could start to see the GC self-perform that scope. And, and, and you know, it, it sort of boxes out, to use a basketball term, um, the subs from competing in that space. Mm -hmm. And it gets right back to the heart <clears throat> of this conversation about, evol you know, continuing to evolve forward and keeping your, your eyes open and, and what are the trends in the industry? What new tech is becoming available? You know, shared practices, what are others doing in this space? And not casting it off as, yeah, that'll never take root. Um, you know, we, we've all heard the, the um, oh, what, what's the camera manufacturer? I'm, I'm blanking on it at, at, at the moment. Kodak? Kodak, yes. The, the Kodak example, the Blackberry example, and I'm sure yeah. there's a number of, you know, don't, don't, don't become that. Right. right. Be, be willing to to listen to what's going on in the industry and invest in in perhaps a position in your organization where they're doing just that. Like we have an individual at KLH. They, they face a real, I think, a real risk um, of be, just like, as I mentioned, engineers, they face a real risk of seeing their place in the value stream be commoditized and frankly eliminated if you don't rise up and, and start delivering a, a greater value. Mm -hmm. and, and, and those opportunities exist, exist in, you know, adopting all those types of, of agile and lean principles, like how are we kidding and how are we simplifying our own designs on our own projects? And once you find some success in that, the opportunities for scaling that become, you know, become greater. Yeah, for sure. Oh, Jim, what do you think is the most uh, exciting part of construction right now for you? Um, there's there's a few things, um, and, and selfishly, I, I you know I'm gonna liken it or, or relate it to some things that we have going on at KLH. Um, I see data consulting is is a, a an emerging trend that's going to be really important in our industry, you know, this, this came up earlier in our discussion, Todd, where, you know, you asked me, you know, what percentage of the industry is starting to tr trend in, in that direction. And I said at most 20%. And, and the reason I said that figure is you still have too many companies in our industry that are, as I, as I stated, relying on, on things that worked in the past. And so the, the, you know, the revelation of what is known as a BIM execution plan has become increasingly more prevalent in, in, in projects for predominantly serial builders, uh, like universities or healthcare institutions. Mm -hmm. But all that becomes is a document that gets put on the shelf. The design teams are like, yeah, 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 we can do BIM, you know, in their, in their response. And it doesn't happen. 
And so the, the owner is, is, is provided the same old stuff. And so we, we realized through, uh, through discussions with a, with a large healthcare institution, uh, we started pitching this idea of a data consultant. And what that means is shepherding the design team and the contractors, the installation team, through a process that makes the model the single source of truth, mm. where owner criteria, owner standards, and I'm not just talking about level of detail and level of design. I'm talking about manufacturing, all the different parameters associated with wire, with devices, with circuits, with you know rooms and areas. All of that is embedded in the model in a way that um, can be QC'd and can be um, you know, uh, verified and audited by an owner rep or by us as the owner's rep on the data side. So mm -hmm. pushing this service through um, has started to, or, or not pushing, but, but the, the creation of this service that we developed called Levcon Analytics has allowed us to differentiate ourselves. Just another point where, where you know, we are behaving differently than a, than a traditional engineering firm uh, and, and it's a strategy that, quite frankly, turns, um, you know, creates a, a scenario where our competitors are customers. You know, we're, it, we can administer this service, um, whether we're the, the, the engineer of record or not. Um, and, and it's been, you know, a wonderful, I think, a wonderful, you know, experiment that is eventually like the beauty, like any, any, any evolution, like just how amazing it is to watch things evolve over time. Um, and, and this is a great example of that. Yeah, very nice. I see the need for, um, you know, contractors and design, you know, designers to come together in, in a more um, collaborative way to, to, to integrate uh, workflows, to, to integrate, um, you know, uh, processes, things like that. Um, I also, uh, you know, I like what's happening in the IC space. You know, there there seems to be a need to develop some type of, um, you know, call it marketplace to to enable the types of, um, you know, products, uh, whether it's you know coming from a contract or coming from a manufacturer. Uh, so th those are some of the trends that, that I get really excited about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I see the walls coming down between uh, designers and, and contractors and, and helping one another uh, become more streamlined in a way that say our, like that single source of truth, right? The di digital twin, those are buzzwords in the industry, but, you know, there is a race to develop that kind of competency where, you know, you're not recreating things and it, and it allows a, a contractor to quickly extract a bill of material as an example, dump it into their, you know, their estimating software and immediately come out with a much more precise number rather than some contingency laden bid for a project, right? It increases their their competitiveness on, on, on a project that they're, they're competing for. Mm -hmm. it, I think it eliminates risk. Um, and if we're willing to, you know, put our money where our mouth is, you know, there, there's opportunities to, 
uh, introduce maybe even incentives to to different uh, contracts to to our proposals for for our, our pro projects. And what I mean by that is like an example, you know, we're we're promoting this fully coordinated model, and and the owner in this case, which was a higher uh, higher ed uh, client, bought into the the whole idea, and we said, listen, here's what we want you to do: we want you to allocate the money that you would otherwise you know, put in your bid for coordination. And if we do what we say we do, we streamline to that to the point where you're spending a fraction of those dollars, owner, you get the opportunity to do what you choose with that money. If you wanna spend it on some additional tech for your new building, or hey, if you wanna bonus it out to the, to the, design, to the team for performing, um, you know, living up to the contract, so to speak, you know, that, that option exists too. Yeah. So, you know, introducing incentive-based contracts, I think is a, is a, I think an innovative, innovative way to approach projects. Yeah. Nice. Well, how do people get a hold of you and, and find out more about what you guys are doing at KLH? Um, you can visit our website at uh, klhengrs.com uh, or you can, you know, message me uh, or you can call me anytime. My number is 859-462-1878. Text, call, email me anytime. Um, you know, we're, we're just, you know, we're not professing to have the answer. I think this is uh, probably an appropriate way to end it. You know, we're out there um, promoting collaboration. We're seeking like-minded partners to come together to build trust uh, and to start sharing, you know, methods and and, and processes, workflows in a way that ultimately, I think, yields the types of outcomes that we all desire. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we have this, um, you know, we have this vision or this mission, I should say, to bring joy to construction, because frankly, it's been joyless for the past 10 years. And, you know, when we lead with that, um, you know, people generally tend to lean in and be like, interesting. Well, you know, well, let me, let me hear more. And yeah. just with some authentic type dialogue, uh, I think the trust, the trust increases and the willingness to, um, to listen also increases. Absolutely. Love that. Uh, so final question for you, what does innovation mean to you? Um, innovation means to me, um, it's it's a matter of or of life or death, um, you know. I think in the early days of innovation, you can spend some time on on on, you know, and this is where you you gain momentum, right? Like like eliminating clicks, for example. All right, or minimizing clicks in in a process in my design. That's a great place to start. And what what eventually happen is it'll start to snowball in a way. And I think the once you get to a point, there is a, a the law of diminishing returns that you that any company will experience when you when you get to that point. It's like what is the next thing? Yeah. How do we apply our innovation in a more meaningful way that um, you know that potentially adds value for the company? Um, and you know it's been told to me that it is an innovation if someone's not willing to pay for it. Uh, but I don't think you can adopt that philosophy in, in the earlier days, but you will eventually get to a point. But uh, to, to answer your question in a soundbite, I think innovation means um, 
you know, relevancy. Awesome. Jim, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. This was great. It's been a pleasure, Todd. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it as well. Um, and hope uh, everyone's found some value in this. Yeah, absolutely. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, challenge yourself like the KLH leadership team did on how to keep your company relevant, not just for tomorrow, but 20 years into the future as well. When you are seeking to embrace a new innovative mindset, make sure to fight through the inevitable awkwardness at the beginning. Give yourself and the team space and grace to try different things to see what takes. Second take, the old adage that culture eats strategy for breakfast is absolutely true. In order to truly transform your company to thrive in the innovation and digital transformation needed for construction, culture will have to be front and center. You will not succeed in transformation if your culture cannot support the change. Culture is the key ingredient. And finally, Jim quoted Amy Marks with, it's no longer a journey, it is a race. And if you don't know about the race, you're not in it. I agree. There are numerous companies throughout construction that have started the race and are thriving. Don't be shut out because you arrived too late to get in the game. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. And you can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.